This year at Northside, we are living out grace. Of course, we're learning a lot about grace, uh, but we are attempting to live it out. Every month, we have different challenges, and that challenge is designed to help you put into practice at what you've learned from his word. And I was thinking about that with all of these different challenges. This is number 10 now. Uh, the October Grace Challenge is to open up your home, to practice a bit of hospitality. Uh, you have another 10 days left here in October. And I would just encourage you to really think about that. And I, I know when you think about opening your home, you think, well, I'm not that outgoing. My house isn't that nice. I don't entertain well. And that's not what I'm asking you to do. What I'm asking you to do is to share a bit of yourself your authentic self with other people. Uh, here at church, eh, it's part of ourself. It's a, it's a sliver of who we are. But in your home, your people at your home know the real you. And they, they share the real you. And this is you sharing your lives with one another. So uh, think about today. Just look around just for a moment and look around all across the auditorium and look for some people that you think, man, it would be good to get to know them just outside. I've really always wanted to have a conversation. I've, I've really, that intrigues me what they do or something I've heard about their story. Or maybe I just see them sitting there. I, I'd like to get to know them better. Uh, you have an opportunity to do that. You can just say, hey, the preacher, blame it on him. Okay? Uh, so I hope you'll take the challenge. And for those of you who have done that, thank you. In Oct- uh, Currently, we are in a Sunday morning series called The Overflow, and that overflow is designed to really make us think about what it looks like when, after we've been immersed and buried with Christ, our lives begin to pour out something different than was there before. When Christ is in us and when the Holy Spirit dwells within, something different comes out than what was different from what was there previously. And so we're looking at these qualities that the Apostle Peter uh, thinks about and asks us to bring into our lives. In fact, he says it's necessary if we want to ensure that we don't fall from Christ, that we don't fall from grace. We need to practice these things. And we've been thinking about what our look, lives might look like as we put these attributes and qualities in the into practice. So turn with me to Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one. You should be familiar with it by now because we've been there several times already. Uh, and I'm just going to read to you chapter one verses five through eight. His divine power. This is starting in verse three and back up just a little bit. Has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. He starts by saying, "You know about God. You you know what you need to do, and that He's given us everything we need for life and godliness." Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Peter's taking it up a notch here. He's saying you have the opportunity now to participate with something of the divine. I was thinking as we were worshiping this morning, as we were worshiping and I'm trying to, to center my mind and my heart and, and my soul on God. And I'm imagining as Ryan took us into the throne room of God in Isaiah chapter six, 
I'm imagining the celestial host surrounding him. In my Bible, we've been reading the book of Revelation, the elders that surround him with their many crowns. And they just pronounce and pour out, holy, holy, holy. And as we do that, as we, you see, you thought you just came here to, to worship, to sing a few songs, to pray a few prayers, to partake of communion, to give, to hear a word from God's word. But what you're doing when you're joining this, this, these list of qualities is you are participating in something far greater than is what is earthly. You are participating in the divine. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive In your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But catch this verse 9. I haven't always read this, but if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind. And he has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. So when we think about coming to Christ and participating in the divine, maybe we think about what we've been forgiven of. But I want to ask you, what have you been redeemed for? That's what Peter's addressing here. He's saying you have the opportunity to grow, to know Christ, and to grow in Christ. So, as we think about today's quality, today's quality is the simple quality of godliness. It's simple, but it sure is not easy. Godliness refers to a manner of living. We seek to live not as we want to live, but as God wants us to live. The Christ-like example is Luke chapter 22. He's in the garden. He's praying. He knows that the cross must come, but he doesn't desire it. He knows the physical pain, which is one level, but the spiritual separation, which will happen between he and the Father, which had never happened before, was going to happen. And he did not desire that. And yet he, when he prayed to God, he said, Father, not what I will, but what you will. That's godliness. That's saying to God, I don't... I know what I want, but Father, I want what you want, and help me to aspire toward that. Peter says this on later in, in, in the letters. Turn to Second Peter chapter three, verses ten and eleven. Second Peter three, ten and eleven. Toward the end of this very same book, he writes this: But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Now, Peter's quite clear. There's a day coming when the world will not exist in its current form. Verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you see it's coming. The day of the Lord is closer now than it's ever been. There's a day coming when those who are still on earth will beg the rocks and the hills and the mountains to fall on them and crush them and save them from seeing the Lord. Because it will be a fearful and dreadful day for them. So then, we choose to live. Now, everybody lives, okay? But we choose to live on God's terms. You know, in, in our culture, that's, that's pretty popular saying to say, well, just, just do what is right for you. Just live according to your truth. 
Ha, whoa, very careful of that. Living as you want to live is only going to get you your, the, what your life deserves. But if you live as God wants you to live, he'll give you far more than you deserve. So may you not live your life according to what you want, but according to what he wants. May you not live what is right for you or what's right for you right now, but what's right in God's eyes. And may you live not just your truth, but may you live God's truth. Because this truth, at the end of all time on the day of the Lord, is going to be the only truth that matters. You will not stand before judgment and say, God, I live my truth. No, no, no. God's going to say, but now I'm going to judge you by my truth. And it will change everything. To be holy, we have to start, first of all, by fearing the Lord. That's where it starts. Holiness begins with a Godful fear and the world balks at this. They balk at the idea of, of fearing some or submitting to any type of authority. But I'll even go one step further and say, even people who would say they're Christ followers sometimes go, well, you know, I, I, a fear here means a healthy respect for the Lord. I respect the, the Lord like I would the president. I, oh, my goodness. What heresy. The level of holiness that God has that when any time a human being has come into contact with his presence and his might, what did the prophet Isaiah say? Woe to me! I'm a man of unclean lips and a people of unclean lips. When we compare our goodness, whatever small amount, Isaiah says it's like filthy rags in the presence of the Lord. So, we understand that godliness begins with that holy fear from God. The verse that was read for us, Psalm chapter 34, Walter read for us. Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires, who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. How is it that we're able to live righteously? Well, it starts by fearing God, by fearing the Lord. A lack of holy fear always leads to godless living. Uh, when, you, when you've got people who do not fear the Lord, they live as they want to. Uh, we see that all throughout the pages of Scripture. We even see sometimes religious people without a fear of the Lord, and the, the, the results are still the same. Well, I won't turn there in scriptures, but there are stories in the Old Testament like Nadab and Abihu who offered some unauthorized fire in the worship of the Lord and they were struck down. And there is a couple in this New Testament church of uh, in this book of Acts, this couple of Ananias and Sapphira, and they attempted to lie to deceive before God and God struck both of them down. Do you understand what I'm saying here? That holy fear, both of these, Nadab and Abihu, said Ananias and Sapphira, both were people who, who knew God, who understood what God wanted, and yet did something differently. On a Sunday morning, I'm speaking to people who probably know God, who in general probably know what God wants, but may possibly 
not fear God enough to be doing what he wants done. I'm not saying that's to everyone, but we got to be careful. Even We can't just say, well, the world, they lack holy fear. We in the church have holy fear. No, we, we still have to watch ourselves. We still have to maintain that holy fear. We think about Peter. Turn to Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. In, in Peter's own story, Peter got a really cool, up-close-and-personal, front-row seat to the experience of God's holiness. It's Matthew's account of the transfiguration. And Peter said to Jesus, you know, here's Jesus glowing like the sun, his, his clothes as white as light. And then there's Moses and Elijah, and they're just sitting talking there with Jesus. And Peter said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. This verse 4. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He's got that. Peter's having that teen camp experience. You ever had that teen camp experience? Like the week is so good and you get closer to the Lord and you're learning about him and you're connecting with one another. And sort of the end of the week, even though you're tired, you're just kind of running on spiritual energy. You're just so excited and you're like, I'm going to do better. I'm going to I'm going to start living right. I wish we could just keep, stay up on the mountain forever. Right. But it, it can't be that way. Peter's on the mountain, and he wants to stay there too. But Jesus knows he's headed toward a cross. And he, Peter says this. Uh, while he was still speaking, a cloud enveloped them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, what was the response of the disciples in that moment when they heard the voice of God? Was it just awe? Was it just love and joy? What does the scripture say? When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As yeah, it gives us a picture when unholy human beings come into the presence of a holy God, there's only one natural reaction, and it is to fear the Lord. Uh, Peter uh, kept this holy fear within him. Uh, he would, of course, go on. He would preach the first gospel sermon, and he would get quite a, you know, there were people who know, oh, man, if Peter came to the church where, where your church was meeting in your city, they're like, oh, Peter's going to be here today. Or when he wrote this letter, they, they, they paid special uh, attention to it. In fact, there's a story in Acts chapter 10 when Peter went to see a man named Cornelius. And when they meet Peter, they bow down to worship him. And, and here's what, this is verse 25. As Peter, this is Acts 10, 25. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. You see, Peter, Peter learned the lesson from the transfiguration. There is one God. There is only one who's, who's worthy of being revered. Uh, somebody jokingly said this morning, uh, how's the rev this morning? I said, easy on the rev. Okay? I'm not a reverend. Don't revere me. Okay? I am not worthy of being revered. If you doubt that, just have, take my wife to lunch. She can tell you all about it. Okay? I am not worth, none of us is worthy of being revered. 
Okay, there is even Peter and some even today would worship Peter and Peter would say, stand up. What are you doing falling at my feet? I am only a man. I am not God. See, that's holy fear. When you have holy fear, Peter understood in holy fear who was worthy of being worshipped, not him. And not you. And certainly not me. Holy fear leads us to do the second thing. Holy fear leads us to godliness, and godliness leads us to leave evil behind. Turn to Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. A very simple but poignant scripture. Proverbs 8, 13 says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. When we have holy fear, we seek what is good, but we not just seek, we not only seek what is good, we hate what is evil. Paul wrote to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22. He said, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. May we flee from sin May we, may, when we see its very appearance, may we run from it like Joseph ran from Potiphar's wife. When we see, it's just even just the inkling of it heading that way, we've got we've to flee from it. So this last weekend, Tyler and I went camping. And Tyler and I... Uh, we're invited by Jim and Anita. Jim uh, has some, some property and land out east. And he said, anytime you want to come out and go camping, just you come on out. Practicing hospitality, taking the uh, October challenge, I guess. And <clears throat> so we went out there, and, and they had some time off out of school because they go to Goddard. and They spend more out of time out of school than in school. And we... We get out there and we set up our tent and we're doing just some manly things. And one of the things we're doing is shooting clay targets, which is a lot of fun. And so we have the 12 gauge and, and we're throwing these, these orange clay targets out into the field and one of us throws and the other one shoots. And we get through doing that and uh, I say, okay, Tyler, you know, we want to leave Mr. Jim's place better than when we found it. So we need to go pick up some of those clay targets. And so we go out and we've been throwing them into this empty field. And I, I'm thinking about it as we're walking toward the field. You know, this this field is kind of, it's been raining a lot and water's up and it, it may be kind of, so I just kind of ease out into the field. And it's soft, you know, it's it's not terrible. I mean, it seems walkable. I look at my shoes, there's nothing on there. So I think, okay, we can, we're probably okay. So we proceed into the field and we're walking and picking up these clays and getting them. And we've got most of them picked up. And I see two or three on the other side of the low part of the field where the water runs in. And so we walk over that direction. And being the good dad that I am, I say, Tyler, you need to go <laughs> on, on the other side of that. And if you'll just if you'll just walk here, here, and here, you can cross over, get those clays, and then come on back. So you know he's he sprints over and he kind of goes here, here, and here, and he gets down and he he tries to get one of the clays, and he as he bends over, his foot sinks. I mean, it is 
His foot is fully immersed, fully baptizoed in the mud, okay? It is all the way up. Oh, man. Oh, we got a problem now. His foot's all the way down. I say, okay. All right, Tyler, this is very important. Can you pull your, your foot back out? So he tries and he tries and, and he finally gets it. And he's kind of doing one of these things. His foot's there, but his shoe's still baptizoed in the mud. Now I know where stuck. So I said, put that foot down, try to grab this shoe. While he's grabbing this shoe, this foot gets stuck. And he is just all kinds of stuck. Finally, he's got both shoes off in the mud. He pulls them out at great effort. And he pulls up these huge, they look like bowling balls caked in mud, okay? What used to be his shoes. He said, Dad, how do I get back across? I figure out we've really got a problem here. So I say, okay, throw me the shoes. So he kind of throws them at my head. <laughs> Walk over to the edge of the field and then meet me up along the side. And as I'm carrying his shoes encased in mud, I'm asking myself the question, how did I get here? And some of you are sitting out there going, city boys. <laughs> but it occurs to me this. The reason we got out there is because it happened gradually. That's the way evil and sin always work. You see, no one ever sets out, no man ever sets out to, 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 to destroy his marriage and ruin his family by committing adultery. He doesn't get up in the morning and think that. It starts with just, just stepping out a little closer to that pretty co-worker and having a conversation that goes just a little too far. You see, no one ever starts out intending to get off into evil. Satan knows that, so he draws us into it gradually. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. You'll note this in the very first sin, how it worked. Genesis chapter 3, the woman said to the serpent, uh, the serpent said, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said, we made of the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say... You must not eat the fruit from the tree, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will surely not die, the serpent said, for God knows that when you eat of it, you will be opened, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's the first problem. She's listening to sin's call. When the woman saw that the fruit was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She's listening to sin's call, and then she's looking at the the fruit, and then she reaches out and touches it. You see how gradually he pulled her in? Listen, I walked through ministry now going on almost 20 years, and I've seen this happen with teens. I've seen this happen with young adults. I've seen this happen with older adults. They never intended for things to get this bad. But the problem was that gradually, little by little, they walked into the field. They, they want deeper and deeper until all of a sudden they were stuck and they couldn't get out. And the implications and the consequences are far more serious than muddy shoes. It's eternity on the line. So when I, when I as your preachers tell you, please, please, please don't do what you're doing. When, when your parents tell you, please stop doing what you're doing. Maybe that's because they see you walking in the field. 
And then watching your life begin to sink deeper and deeper. And you're going to get stuck. And there's going to be consequences and it's going to hurt. Godliness leads us to flee from the very appearance of evil. We don't even, if I was smart yesterday, I would have said, eh, that field's pretty wet. If we go out there, we may get in trouble. Let's just leave the clays there. And you know what? Next time I'll do that. And for the rest of his life, Tyler will probably do that. Because we learned a lesson the hard way. Don't sink into evil. Evil always happens gradually. Turn to Romans chapter 1. This is important because we think of evil in terms of what maybe other people do. But we have to pay attention to what we're approving as well. Romans chapter 1, Paul lists a whole lot of immoral, sinful behaviors. We're not going to go through those. You can, but for time's sake, I just want you to look at verse 32. After listening, listing all of these sinful behaviors, he says this. Although they know God's righteous decree and that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. This is where it probably gets most of us. Yeah, I would never, I would never cuss and swear, but, but you know, I've watched some things that had lots of that foul language. Oh, it doesn't hurt anybody, except for the fact that you're watching it and you're paying and you're endorsing the people who produce that stuff. You see, the scripture says, what fellowship can light have with darkness? And sometimes people of light go, well, I can go to this movie. Well, I can watch this thing. Well, I can listen to this music. It doesn't affect me, you see, because I'm unlike the other seven billion people who are alive. Of course it affects you. And here's the other secret. If people of faith would stop endorsing and stop supporting and stop uh, just lying by as evil abounds in our entertainment, maybe they'd stop making all of the darkness in our entertainment. It's not possible for them to continue producing it if people aren't watching it. So my question is, what are you supporting? What are you endorsing? What are you approving just by sitting on the couch and flipping through? You think it may not hurt anyone, but my question is, are you being godly? Are you fleeing from evil? May we not forget it's important to run from the very appearance of evil. And not only in what for ourselves, but in what we approve for other people. So when you see it's evil, run away from it, flee from it. As we run from evil, we have to run toward the good. Philippians chapter 4, 8 is one that's a little more positive. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says this. Think about uh, these things. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is any worthy of praise, think about these things. You see, we, we don't just think about what we're leaving, about what we're fleeing, but also what we're for. It's one of the reasons that our family listens to a lot of Christian music. Not because it's the greatest quality in the world, but because there's 
positive, encouraging messages that remind us of the light. That keep our thoughts thinking about whatever's true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and noble. It keeps our mind in the right place. In fact, Christy has a playlist she calls her happy music. When she feels herself getting where she's thinking negatively, she puts that playlist on. Because it helps her to be thinking about whatever is true and noble and honorable and commendable. Um, I don't know if you know this. On Netflix, there is an old show. Netflix is new entertainment, but there's old shows on there. And one of my favorites these days is Andy Griffith. Andy Griffith is 50 years old. It's so corny sometimes, but it's powerfully good. It's not the word of God, but if you want things that are true and lovely and noble and honorable, to be able to keep your mind in your entertainment focused on good things, it's a help. So maybe that will help you. May we then focus on that which is good. And finally, godliness requires the courage to act. We have to have the courage to do something. It's not just about knowing what God says. It's about doing what God says. And if we don't do it, it's as if we didn't know it. James chapter 4, verse 17 says this. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, sins. According to James, doing right exceeds being right. We live in a world, especially our culture, everybody wants to be right. Everybody wants to argue the point. Everybody wants to have the last word. And James says, you know, what's a better value than that is that you do what's right. So do what's right. May we have the courage to do what's right. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes doing what's right means you're doing it alone. But even if you're standing for what's right and you're standing all alone, you're still standing for what's right. There may be that, that kid at your school that everybody else picks on, that everybody else calls names, is sort of at the bottom of the pecking order. But you know the right thing to do is to not do that and maybe to, to encourage that kid, maybe to sit by him at lunch, maybe to, to sit by him in class. That's a hard thing to do because you'll probably be by yourself and they might put you down here on the pecking order. But you do what's right because it's what God wants you to do. And at the end of the day, what God wants you to do far exceeds what anyone else wants you to do. Sometimes it's costly. No good thing, the scripture says, will he withhold from him who acts uprightly. Sometimes it means you're doing it alone. Sometimes it means it's costly. And sometimes it's exhausting. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So may you and I do what's right because it's right and because God wants us to do it. So what about you? My question for you is this. One day... You're going to meet your creator. All of us are. All of us will stand before him. And my question is, which side will you stand on? Neil, come here. You're yawning. Let me pick on you. Stand right here. 
We're just going to do a stand right in the middle. There you go. All right. Now, what I want you to do is go to the right. Move to the right. Oh, he's smart. You were, see, I thought you were yawning, but the question he asked is your right or my right. Neil, please go to my right. You see, on Judgment Day, the Creator is going to separate two groups of people. And he's going to separate those who follow them onto his right and to those that don't on his left. Now, if you pay attention to this, if Neil was not thinking, go ahead and move to your right. See, your, Neil's right is, in this situation, my left. Don't do what's right by you. Do what's right by God so that on judgment day, you move to his right. That's godliness. We're seeking to live as he wants us to live and by what he says is right and not by even what we think is right. Have a seat. You can go back to sleep now. May I encourage you this morning to get on God's right side and not worry about your right side or anyone else's right side. If you do not know Christ this morning, you can begin to know him this morning by being buried with him in baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. You can begin that journey today. I don't know why you wait. If you don't know him, you need to know him. You are not prepared for the last day until you know him. You can start that today. Or if you have known Christ, but you've, you've fallen away, you've forgotten, you begin living, let's just say you've been a little stuck in the mud, you can return to him. And I would encourage you to do that this morning. If we can pray with you or for you, if you have any need, please come as we stand and sing.